welcome to the Portugal podcast. We're back to take a look at Portugal's quest for glory in the UEFA Nations League finals. The Seleção will take on Switzerland in the semi-finals at the Estadio do Dragão in Porto on Wednesday for a chance to reach the final, which will be held at the same stadium the following Sunday. We're going to dissect Portugal's squad, discuss manager Fernando Santos, offer our starting 11 and formations for the opening match, and also take a quick look at the Swiss side. My name is Matthew Marshall, still grieving a little bit from the under-20 World Cup exit, but I'll be steering the ship, which basically means attempting to stop Portugal godfather Tom Cundit spending the entire podcast waxing lyrical about Bruno Fernandes. Tom, have I got any chance? Uh, not really. Uh, <laughs> good luck with that. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll get, we'll get on to him. But uh, anyway, uh, great to be talking about the Seleção again. Yep, it's uh, an interesting little tournament, isn't it? And, and joining us is uh, Nathan Motes, co-author of the 13th chapter alongside Tom and Simon Curtis that details Portugal's 50-year journey from football minnows to European champions. Nathan, how are you going? Hey, yeah, uh, doing pretty good. I also feel that uh, that sadness, having watched the, uh, the youngsters crash out the way they did uh, yesterday. But uh, otherwise, all good. Looking forward to uh, the senior side, putting things right. Yep, it's kind of fortunate in a way that we have a quick turnaround and hopefully uh, the, the senior side can perform well and lessen the, the blow a little bit for, uh, for the youngsters' uh, early exit in Poland. Okay, guys, let's take a look through this squad and we've got two changes from the squad that contested those opening two matches in the European qualification. We've got uh, João Mario and André Silva out and coming in Bruno Fernandes and Joao Felix. We'll get on to them shortly, but we'll start at the back, hey, and, and start with the goalkeepers, and really not that much to discuss here with Rui Patricio, who made his debut in 2010, been a regular for years now. He's in line to earn his 80th cap against Switzerland, Tom. There's no real surprise here that uh, Patricio will be starting again. No, no, no surprise. You know, he's never let Portugal down, really. Uh, you can probably count the amount of mistakes <laughs> he's made for Portugal on one hand, you know, really, really consistent performer. So, yeah, no doubts there. I think he'll be between the sticks for a good few years yet. OK, let's move up to the defence and right back. And we've got Joao Cancelo. He will no doubt start ahead of uh, Nelson Semedo. Tom, any real dramas with these two guys for you? Well, Portugal have just got uh, an embarrassment of riches at right back, isn't it? If you think about they've got the Juventus right back, the Barcelona right back, the Manchester United right back or future right back probably and the Inter Milan right back, you know. Uh, I mean, people don't even talk about him now, but so spoilt for choice in that position. Joel Cancelo, I think, is number one. He's, uh, you know, he's so good going forward. Uh, he's really like an auxiliary winger. And uh, he's had a good first season in Juventus. Not perfect. We know he's not a perfect player. He has got defensive issues, but I think he has improved as a defender. Having a Juventus uh, right back and Barcelona right back, who, interesting, talking to quite a few Barcelona fans, they think that Nelson Semedo should actually be first choice there and not uh, Roberto, who normally is their first choice right back. And so, yeah, Portugal very well covered in that position. Nathan, what's, what's, your, what's your thoughts on those two guys and also Ricardo Pereira, who was Leicester City's player of the year? Uh, he, he may be a little bit unlucky to miss out here. Yeah, I definitely think he was unlucky. But the, uh, the, the different approach I'll take is it's, it's interesting that while Portugal has such talent at this position, I think it's pretty clear that we have not yet figured out how to sort out who the best fit for our system is. Uh, Joel Cancelo being the attacking player that he is in modern football, I think you, we are going to want to employ a fullback that, that overlaps. It gives us width, but something's wrong. I don't know what it is exactly, but but we're not we're not employing uh, our fullback candidates at least on the right in a way that is actually giving us the defensive stability I think that we need, and so that actually makes me wonder that whether maybe we should try Nelson at some point to see if he can balance this out a little bit because I, I do believe his chances have been limited, and as far as Ricardo, you know I I think uh, playing in the English Premier League the way he has. This season, I, I think he merited, you know, a better look. Uh, but but when you have when you have fullbacks playing in all the top clubs in Europe, I mean, someone's going to get left out, and and that it just happened to be him. It's unfortunate, but hopefully we'll we'll see him back in the squad again, or maybe for the Euros next year. Certainly a wealth of options, and Cedric Swadesh, who is still only 27, you know, that move from Southampton to Inter hasn't really worked out. But this is another guy 
who can come in, in in the future perhaps and help out if necessary. Let's move over to the left side and um, I might start this one off with uh, Rafael Guerrero. I've seen him a lot this season at Borussia Dortmund. He was playing more of the advanced position up on the left side there but ended up coming back into the left back position due to a number of injuries there for for Dortmund. We know what he's all about. We, we saw a little bit of issues in the World Cup time with a lot of space being left in behind him which was a bit of a concern but I'm sure he'll be first choice here. And uh, Mario Rui continues to, to earn his uh, place in the squad. Yeah. Oh, God, uh, don't remind me of that World Cup, please. <laughs> uh, you know, I love Rafael Guerrero. I've always said I think he's one of the most really top-talented players Portugal have produced in the, in the last few years. I'd put him perhaps in a top three or four. He's just such a talented player. But uh, he, uh, a bit like uh, Nathan was saying, uh, you know, over on the right, you know, you've got such top quality talent but it just doesn't seem to be working very well and uh, Guerrero at the World Cup was I felt I felt a bit sorry for him because you know he was terrible let's not beat about the bush he was really it's just like an open door on that left hand side the game against Morocco especially was almost painful to watch the amount of times he got uh, he got beaten and uh, Mario Rui uh, he's actually done quite well I think for Portugal whenever he's played but you know there's no doubt about it Guerrero is the superior player and it's very interesting what you say, Matt, about uh, you know how his season has progressed at uh, at Dortmund. I'm very pleased to hear that he's he's gone back to left back because uh, you know it's obvious if you play a whole season not in that position, then you're asked to play that position for Portugal. You know you're going to be a bit rusty uh, in terms of your uh, you know defensive positioning. So it's good that he's gone back there because uh, you know when he's on form. I think uh, even accounting for his terrible World Cup, I think that was a bit down to injury as well. He is Portugal's best left-back. Yeah, I mean, he only played the last three games there at left-back, but I guess it's better than nothing. Nathan, is this this a concern with Rafael Guerrero mainly playing an advanced role and and having to come back to left-back just for the national team? Yeah, I think people might get tired of, you know, hearing me say this, but I've never been a fan of trying to relocate players at, at any position uh, freely, just, just arbitrarily, based on where they they think they might play a little bit better. I think the, that club performance in a certain role absolutely translates over to how that player will perform for their national team. And so, in, in this case, with Guerrero, for most of the season at Dortmund, playing in an advanced role, I certainly think that affects the way that he is accustomed to to playing. And so, when he brings that mentality to Portugal and has to perform a more defensive role. Yeah, I, I do think it's a liability. And I definitely think we saw that happening uh, to us in the World Cup. Um, so I, I don't know exactly what to do with Guerrero because we can't very well leave him out. He, like Tom said, he's extremely talented. But I, I think we're going to have to to possibly look at the left-back position as one where um, if he's not working, uh, we might need to get Mario Rui uh, in to take his place. Yeah, the fullback position is definitely something to look at. And uh, as we said, the, the space that might be left behind these guys and how Fernando Santos tries to cover that. Okay, let's move over to central defence. Tom, we've got Pep. He's turned 36 a couple of months ago, returned to Portugal with Porto from uh, from Besiktas. You must have seen a bit of him. How's he going, the, the, the older statesman? Yeah, uh, well, you know, as a Portugal fan, I just absolutely adore Pep I think uh, every Portugal fan does and uh, but uh, you know I've got to be honest he hasn't really impressed too much on upon his return to Porto and uh, made quite a few mistakes doesn't really seem the old reliable Pep uh, you know that monster of a central defender is just like an, a wall for uh, opposition attackers it's not you know you can tell that age is catching up on him Having said that, I still think he's uh, got enough in the tank to do a good job for, for Portugal. And quite apart from his ability on the pitch, uh, you know, he's, he's a leader. He's a real leader. And, uh, you know, everything he's achieved, he'll, the, the other players will look up to him. And, you know, it's quite a young squad or a lot of young players in there. So I think you need guys like Pep to, you know, kind of uh, nurture them. I think there's not much doubts here. It's got to be uh, Pep and Ruben Dias. Uh, at centre-back, we all know that Portugal have struggled to renew this position. And I think for that reason, uh, Pep is still uh, you know, a viable choice and the best choice to, to be at central defence. Fernando Santos just called up three central defenders and the other one is Jose Font. I'm sure a lot of us thought he was done when he moved to China. But 
quite a remarkable turnaround. You know, found a spot there in Lille in in Liga and and helped them achieve second position behind Paris Saint Germain. Was ever present. Quite an amazing turnaround, Nathan. What do you make of his inclusion in the squad? Yeah, I, so based on his form, you know, you can't argue with it. Although the the problem that we're having, the recurring problem with with being unable to uh, replace some of these aging uh, center backs is, is something that we're not ever going to fix. We continue to make these same picks over and over. So one one inclusion I would have liked to have seen, and I've said his name a few times on social media, is Pedro Mendes from Montpellier. I think he's had a really good run of form for the last three or four seasons in France. And I, I think that at some point he needs to be a factor. He's in his late 20s. Uh, and so maybe a, a bit of a late bloomer, but I, I, I think that all due respect to Font for what he's given to the team, I actually would have liked to have to have seen him uh, sit this one out and and have a new player, uh, Pedro Mendes, called in his place. It seems like this center, central defensive position is is going to be an ongoing issue with Jose Font. Uh, he'll be 36 in December, and just said Pep is 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 already 36. Uh, Tom, just quickly, uh, the youngster at Benfica, they're fiddle. Yeah, well, I was going to mention him. You know, he looked really good this season, of course. Only came into the side when uh, Jardel, the, the normal, uh, you know, the usual Benfica centre-back, got injured uh, after Bruno Lage became the, became the coach in January. Uh, he, he went into the side, formed a fantastic partnership with Ruben Diaz. And so a lot of people were quite surprised he didn't get into the squad. Firstly, on his own merit, because he really was excellent, as well as, being you know very competent defender, uh, he's got very good distribution, which is something that uh, perhaps you can say, for instance, Pep. It's not one of his strong suits. Just to mention what Nathan, you know, you're not going to renew your centre backs if you never pick a youngster. And and then also you've got the you would have also had a chance to uh, you know set him up alongside his club colleague Ruben Diaz. And we all know that when you know club colleagues play together, there's a chemistry there which uh, you know translates into the national scene. So yeah, I think he's a bit unlucky not to make the cut. Uh, I think I agree with Nathan. Perhaps Jose Font for all he's done for Lille and his fantastic season. I think I would have preferred to see uh, to see Ferro in there for him. Yep, he might be the next youngster to get a chance. We'll keep an eye on that one. Okay, let's move into the midfield. And uh, two guys you know very well, Danilo Pereira, William Carvalho, and a relative newcomer, I guess, Ruben Neves. Um, no real surprise with these guys coming in, Tom? Very interesting that uh, Fernando Santos has kind of made that uh, William Neves double pivot at the base of midfield. He's kind of, you know, that's how he's uh, set up Portugal uh, since the World Cup. And, uh, you know, with some success, uh, certainly in the first few games. And uh, I suppose for what is done for Wolves, uh, Ruben Neves, he deserves his place. William Carvalho, absolutely no question in my opinion. I still think he's, uh, he's such a strange player in that he attracts criticism that I personally cannot understand for the life of me. Whenever I see Portugal play, he's uh, usually one of the best players or the best player. And uh, Danilo, uh, Danilo, again, a great player. I feel a bit sorry for Danilo because he's a fantastic player in his own right. But uh, I think with William in front of him and now the emergence of Ruben Neves, his international career has never really taken off. But, you know, great player to have as a backup. Uh, he won't play the first game because he's suspended after getting sent off against Poland in the last Nations League game. But a great backup. And, of course, if we do have problems at centre-back, not very likely, of course, just a two-game tournament. But if we do then uh, you know, he's an emergency centre-back as well. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it was always William Carvalho ahead of Danilo, basically, for Fernando Santos, but then we saw him start both of them in that last match against, uh, against Serbia. So, um, as you mentioned, he's injured for that first game, but certainly something to keep an eye on. I guess we can discuss that when we give our, our starting 11 and, uh, and formations. Um, Nathan, let's move a, a little bit further into midfield here and a couple of guys Raul Martinho who, who gets another another call up and, and Pizzi are these guys very much on the periphery of, of the starting 11 do you think? Well it's, it's difficult to say honestly it depends on the, uh, the tactics uh, Santos wants to employ Jean Martinho and Pizzi both had remarkable seasons for their respective clubs uh, Pizzi his statistics you know for all we talk about Bruno Fernandes Pizzi was was wonderful for Benfica this season. You know, statistically he was he was uh, he was their engine in midfield. 
uh, that certainly merits consideration. And Joel Matinho, by all accounts, was was one of the the phenomenal midfielders in the Premier League, even at 32 years of age, uh, which is which is comes as no surprise to those of us who have been observing him play for the last decade. He's just a he's a great all-around midfielder. Uh, the question is going to be, how do we employ both of those two players in central midfield, and and do we need a more incisive, you know, option there in central midfield? Um, and that's something that we'll get to, I guess, later on in this podcast. Yeah, certainly great options. Both of those guys, really quality players. You know, we've we've been fans of Joel Martinez for a long time. Of course, you know, he, he's getting to be another one of those the elder statesmen, but still certainly a really handy player to have in the squad. And Pizzi, I agree, you know, he, he's really underrated. He's a, he's a sensational player. He can cover a, a range of positions across the midfield and really overtaken guys like Joel Mario, Andre Gomez. Okay, Tom, it's your time to shine. Bruno Fernandes, you've been waiting for it. The stage is yours. <laughs> Well, what can I say? You know, it's just been an absolute pleasure to watch these last two seasons at Sporting. You know, watched all their home games in flesh, uh, a few of their away games as well. And is just a phenomenon. You know, he's been basically Sporting's best player for probably about 90% of the games, uh, you know, and a, a lot better than all his, his colleagues. It's obvious that he's leaving this summer. Uh, I certainly hope he goes somewhere where he's utilised and not sits on the bench, such as may happen if he goes to Man City, for example, uh, because he's too good a player, too good a player not to be playing week in, week out. 33 goals, you know, he's a midfielder and a proper midfielder. That's not you know, just an attacking midfielder or even a number 10 or just sitting behind the strikers. He, he gets all over the pitch. There's a lot of defensive work, fantastic attitude. Uh, really, really dangerous, uh, you know, in front of goal, both scoring as a scoring threat himself and uh, for providing assists. And, uh, you know, this, uh, like I say, we'll get onto this later, but this Portugal side, this Portugal squad has got so much potential to be a real danger to any team. And I think probably for the first time, since Cristiano Ronaldo has been in the team for the last 15 years, I'd say that Portugal have three, four, perhaps real, uh, you know, potential goal threats that the opposition are going to have to worry about other than Ronaldo. You know, in other words, they won't be so reliant on Ronaldo. And uh, Bruno Fernandes, of course, the big question is, I, you know, I can't ignore this. He hasn't really done it for Portugal. He hasn't really even played much for Portugal. And so it's a big challenge to get him in that team and get him, uh, you know, producing his best for Portugal. I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges facing Fernando Santos. Nathan, did you anticipate that uh, Bruno Fernandes would, would go ballistic this season and completely take over the Primeira Liga? Well, he had a great season, you know, uh, even in, in the previous year. And, and, and we were talking about it even then, the number of goals he scored. I think it was uh, in the teams. Yeah, 16, I think. Yeah, he, he had done so well that we already knew, you know, what he was capable of. And then the World Cup happened. Um, and unfortunately, that, I think, cast some of a shadow over what we thought he might become. And so when he came onto the stage this season and scored, outscored Cristiano Ronaldo, first of all, uh, and and just played all around, really, the way that he did, it, I have to admit, I, I did not anticipate that and I think uh, I'll just add to Tom's comments that this Portugal side I think is is not in a position where we can leave this man out of the starting 11 I mean he, he has to be in there somehow uh, it's just a matter of of how we make it all work yeah I completely agree I mean he has to start and and Fernando, Fernando Santos alongside uh, Bernardo Silva who we'll get onto shortly he has to find a way to to get these guys in the team and, and get them performing somewhere close to how they've performed uh, for their clubs. There's absolutely no doubt about it, and his future as Portugal manager might ride on that. Any of these players unlucky to miss out? I guess not. Joao Mario, uh, Andre Gomes, Renato Sanchez, Adrian Silva, all these guys have very much uh, gone downhill for their respective clubs, Tom, and, and no, real re- no real surprise that they've been left out? Yeah, no, you know, going on form. Uh, I think it's interesting also that, and I think it kind of serves as a lesson for... Uh, maybe the future that we when these fantastic young players burst on the scene 
we always have a tendency to think, well, you know, he's this good now. Imagine what it's going to be like in two or three years' time. But, you know, often that doesn't happen. You look at all those players you just mentioned, Joel Mario, uh, Renato Sanchez, two players absolutely key for Portugal at Euro 2016, you know, playing out of their skin. And we're thinking, we're saying exactly those sort of things, aren't we? Look how good these players are now. Portugal is set for the next 10 years with these two players in the team. And they just haven't kicked on. They've regressed no doubt about it and well we've just gone through the midfielders haven't you haven't we I don't think you can argue I don't think you can make a case for dropping any of the midfielders who are in this squad for the ones who aren't let's move up to the forward line and and let's start with Bernardo Silva who has been Sensational for Manchester City. Pep Guardiola has been just full of praise for, for Bernardo, saying he's the big star already in relation to Portugal, saying he can do absolutely everything. He's one of the most talented players I've ever seen in my career as a manager or a player. Some high praise there, Nathan. What are your thoughts on Bernardo Silva's rise at Manchester City? An incredibly talented squad, but he's managed to force his way into, into being a starter for this team. Yeah, I think... Uh kind of, I don't want to call him a pioneer because, you know, Portuguese players have, have performed well in the Premier League in the past, but, but the fact that, you know, he's maybe the, uh, the first player since Cristiano Ronaldo and Nani really took the Premier League by storm. He's the first Portuguese player to have this kind of discussion surrounding him based on his play for a top side in England. And so, in, in that sense, it's very exciting to be a, a Portugal supporter and have a player of his quality. We all know what he can do. And yet there, there remains this, this gigantic question mark regarding his utility for the sale of Sal as well. And so that, that's, that's a major frustration for us also. I think we would all agree on that. Uh, so I'm really looking at this uh, you know, miniature knockout round tournament, you know, the semifinals and final two hopefully give us some sort of idea as to how he's going to be put to the best use. Uh, otherwise it's, it's such a, uh, it's such an immense frustration, you know, for us all to just see him play the way he does for, for city and be unable to bring his best uh, form, you know, for Portugal. Yeah. It's something we've been talking about for seems like years now, Tom, that Fernando Santos hasn't been able to get the best out of Bernardo Silva. I guess we could have even put him into the, the midfield category, considering how versatile he is, and he's been covering for, for Kevin De Bruyne quite well uh, for Manchester City, but he just keeps getting better. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I actually, uh, I, when I write out the squad, I just follow uh, you know, the official announcement and the, how they categorise the player, the player. And it's interesting, they always put Bernardo Silva as a forward, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, he could be just a uh, he could slot into midfield anywhere. You know, I think we all want to see him centrally. Uh, he can be perhaps at number ten, which Portugal have missed for for so long. Uh, like Pep Guardiola said, he he can he can kind of be anything, can't he? He's just a such a talented player. But again, like uh, like Nathan said, you look at him for for Portugal, and you have to be honest, and you have to say he hasn't really performed at all. You know, I can think of 45 minutes against uh, Uruguay at the, the last World Cup game. And maybe the, I think the game against Switzerland, which clinched Portugal's uh, World Cup qualification. Uh, I can remember those two games where he was absolutely outstanding in the second half of the Uruguay game and that other game. Uh, apart from that, you know, he's been, he's been largely disappointing and, uh, you know, and quite anonymous in a lot of these games. And uh, I mean, even at the World Cup, it's amazing to think just a year ago, he was even dropped from Portugal's second game. You know, that's just incredible to think now, you know, Pep Guardiola saying perhaps he's Portugal's biggest star now, big, you know, bigger than Ronaldo. And he couldn't even get into the, into the side, uh, I think it was against Iran or, or maybe against Morocco, I can't remember, the second game. So, uh, so yeah, you know, it's a real conundrum. And of course, you'll listen to him speak, and I think it's one of the secrets of his uh, success, you know, he's obviously a very intelligent guy. He's obviously got absolutely bang on the right attitude. And so, you know, I don't think it's down to him that it's not working for Portugal. Uh, it's down to the man in, in the dugout. It's just incredible that he hasn't really been able to show consistently 
high performances um, for the national side. Let's just move to Joao Felix then. We'll stay with you, Tom. He's, he's come out of nowhere, 19-year-old. Um, Bruno Lage has, has brought him in, and he's been a big reason why Benfica were able to win another title. He, he's been incredible, his, his production, uh, especially towards the end of the season. Um, starting with that um, Europa League game against Eintracht Frankfurt, it was it was really fantastic. He got a hat trick in that game, but he's come out of nowhere. But you know, we need to be a little bit careful. We just mentioned some of these superstars or early superstars who have kind of gone off the rails with big money moves. But just as a player, Tom, talk about some of his strengths. You know, he was a big star for the B team, and people did have big hopes for him. But you know, it's one thing starring for the B team; it's a very different thing starring for the full senior side. You know. In, and he, he did that, like you said, again, after Christmas when Bruno Lage took over. Bruno Lage, who was the B-team coach for Benfica previously, so he knew exactly all about Joao Felix, how to utilise him best, uh, changed him. The previous Benfica coach, Rui Vittoria, played him a bit more on the right-hand side. Uh, you know, he kind of fitted in and out of games. Bruno Lage put him straight in a central position, just behind the main striker, Seferovic. And like you said, he just kind of exploded. Really, really impressive. Uh, very good range of passing, actually, when he, uh, when he drops deeper. Uh, kind of even Rui Costa like some of his passing. But uh, what's really impressed has been just his finishing. You know, really, really good finishing. Left foot, right foot, even quite strong in the air, which is... Quite surprising, Dean is quite, you know, still quite frail. He hasn't fully bulked out yet. And, uh, and just his instinctive ability to know where to be and to kind of ghost past his markers, find a space to stick the ball in the net. And, uh, you know, it's happened to us a few times, hasn't it, that with some strikers have appeared and we think, finally, Portugal have got, you know, someone we can rely on to put the ball in the back of the net who's not called Cristiano Ronaldo. And, you know, hopefully this time it's for real. Yeah, I saw him for the couple of the, the junior teams and I, I didn't really see him as a striker. I saw him more of as a number 10 or someone floating around behind the striker. But yeah, I agree. You know, his positioning and his awareness, which are really the things that make uh, the elite players stand out. You know, he, he's got that in abundance. Eight goals and four assists in his last eight games for Benfica. I guess it helps when they're, they're smashing teams by four goals every game. But still, Nathan... What's your impressions of young Joao Felix? Yeah, I, I agree with Tom in his assessment, but I, I also you know think we have to exercise a little bit of caution. I understand he's still a teenager. You know that I read a BBC article on Joao Felix just the other day that was was making the age-old comparison of a young Portuguese talent with Cristiano Ronaldo. You know they were saying he's the next version of Cristiano Ronaldo, the most exciting Portuguese talent. You know since Ronaldo and. I think this has been said about many players uh, over the years that have that have demonstrated just the, the the maturity to do what he has done for Benfica. You know, I, one thing that I, I really would highlight about his play is, is the conviction with which he strikes the ball. It's it's just he puts his head down and just gives the ball a wallop. He doesn't consider. Oh, should I place it here or there? He knows what he's doing and just just strikes it with such such firmness. And I really I think that's a good sign in a striker because it takes a lot of confidence to know that you can apply such power uh, and put the ball where you where you need it to be. And so I, I like the way he plays. And don't, don't get me wrong, I'm 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 very excited to see him in the squad. But you know, as a as a teenager and in particular over these next two matches, I hope we do not attempt to integrate him too quickly and maybe diminish some of the confidence that he's bringing uh, at this stage in his, in his career. I, I hope we can actually allow him to mature just a little bit more, and then maybe he'll become even an even greater player if we do that. Yeah, we certainly have to be careful with, with young players, teenagers that burst onto the scene like this. Tom, what do you think his best position is? Just behind the striker, I'd say his second striker, dropping deep sometimes. Uh, Perhaps even, uh, you know, sometimes going to the flanks. To the, he tends to drift to the right quite a lot. He, I remember him getting a few assists uh, for Benfica, with a, you know, pinpoint crossing uh, when he's in that position. But, yeah, just, be, just behind the striker, you know, he's not a player to lead the line, obviously. You know, he hasn't even got the physical attributes for that. Uh, and so, but he's so clever, you know, at just moving around, finding the space, and uh, just positioning himself to to be in the right place to you know when the ball drops uh, for him, 
put it in the back of the net. So, yeah, I'd say as a support striker or sometimes in Portugal they call it a nine and a half. It's going to be interesting to see his development, isn't it, and uh, how much game time uh, Santos might give him in these next couple of games. Let's move on, Nathan. Let's uh, talk about Gonzalo Gedge. He uh, really didn't do much at all in the, in the first half of the season over at Valencia. Missed January out with injury there, but he, but he finished the season strong. You know, in April, strung together some really good games in the, in the Europa League and La Liga, and uh, he's earned another call-up here. What's your thoughts on Gonzalo Gedge in the national team? Yeah, I think he gives us, you know, more flexibility if we decide to, you know, move to a 4-3-3, for example. Uh, we, we can't very well employ, you know, players who are accustomed to, to performing kind of the traditional midfield role. Uh, we can't employ them as wingers. So we do, we do need a player with some of the, like, the raging pace that he has, uh, his ability to get behind his marker, uh, to strike from range. He does give us some of those capabilities. I do like the form that he, you know, finished the season uh, with for Valencia. I still there's some question marks for me as to whether he can he can bring that same level of performance for Portugal. Uh, he he did struggle in the World Cup like other players did, so it'll be interesting to see how how Santos deals with with uh, a player like Edge, who who I think we all know at his best could be a great complement, you know, in a number of roles, not just on the left or the right, but he could possibly also possibly be moved. You know, behind Cristiano Ronaldo in that secondary role as well. So, so he gives us a range of, of options, and I like that about him as a player. But I'm still not completely sold at this point of you know, him being a, a starting 11 player. Yeah, no, I'm sure he, he, he'll be mainly on the bench and coming off if needed, but certainly with his range of skills, certainly a handy player to have in the squad. And, you know, with the likes of Bruma completely disappearing and at Leipzig, Jelson Martins. Another bad move to Atletico and um, uh, Ronnie Lopsch also kind of struggling a little bit at Monaco. Then, um, you know, it, it was a, a no-brainer to, uh, to call up uh, Gonzalo Gage. Let's talk about another winger, Tom. This is um, Rafa Silva, who finished the season very, very strong at Benfica. Really, really dominant uh, alongside Joao Felix and uh, fully deserves the call-up. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. He's, an, he's another player who... You know, a few years ago when he burst on the scene, started doing great things at Braga. We all had great hopes for him. And then for about two or three years, really, his, really since his move to Benfica, his career has kind of stalled and uh, had a few injury problems as well. Uh, this season, at last, he's put it all together. He's had the season of his life. He's been absolutely outstanding. And one thing which has really impressed me about Rafa this season is he's always had a big weakness in his game, which has been his finishing He's, you know, the, um, he's just got such pace, such close control that he literally, I remember watching games on end where he'd create about four or five guilt-ed chances for himself a lot of the times, and he'd go on to miss them all. Uh, this season, uh, he's putting them in the back of the net. You know, he got, I think, 23 goals in the, in the whole season. He's interesting also, he's, uh, although he's a winger, he did play centrally quite a lot, kind of. You know, like uh, Benfica were just, like you said, smashing teams for the, the second half of the season. And uh, Rafa Silva had a lot of, a lot to do with that. Uh, you know, a real big goal threat in himself. And uh, yeah, so it's good to see him, you know, realising his potential. And uh, I think he possibly does give Fernando Santos another option there because when he's got the ball on his feet and when he's running directly at opponents, I think he does that possibly better than all the other players in, in the squad. You know, Gonzalo Gerd's a bit more of a wide player. And uh, and like I said, Rafa Silva seems to have finally uh, worked out how to put the ball in the back of the net. So there's another possible scoring option if, uh, you know, if need be for Portugal. Santos started him against Serbia in, in their last game. So he obviously rates him quite highly. And, um, you know, despite um, getting sent off in the Lisbon derby against Sporting, you know, he finished the season brilliantly with seven goals and an assist in his last six matches. Um, Nathan, just quickly, your, your thoughts on uh, Rafa Silva? Yeah, what I like about this season for him was it, it showed that you know, a player who was young with such promise who fell off the radar, you know, that, that wasn't the end of the story you know, for him. He was able to recover and actually uh, learn from some of his earlier failures and, and, and become a, a really great talent for Benfica. Um, I like the direct way that he plays. 
I like his utility, you know, on the wing to give us width. Um, but like Tom mentioned, I think as is normally the case with a lot of um, players with, with such pace, you know, you, you have to be able to find that cool, clear moment right before you strike the ball, you know, to, to give you that, that edge to finish. And I, I think he's lacked that, but, but and, you know, 26 years old, he's grown, he's played on a really great squad at Benfica. And I think he may be ready to, to potentially be what we thought he could be before Euro 2016 when he was playing really well for, for Braga at the time. Uh, and then we saw him, I think for maybe like, like 10 minutes against Austria and that was it. And then he basically fell off the radar after moving to Benfica. So it's good to see him back. And I think he's in a better place in his career. Yeah, I agree. Tremendous. And hopefully for him and also the national team, you know, he, he can maintain this form and um, we'll have to see what happens with, uh, with Rafa Silva as far as getting another start for Portugal. Okay. Let's move on to a player, a little bit uh, unknown, and that's um, Cristiano Ronaldo, who uh, turned 34 in February. Of course, he moved to Juventus, scored 21 goals in Serie R, six in the Champions League, but couldn't help the old lady get to the final. Tom, no real su- <laughs> no surprise here. He's obviously been well-rested, didn't, didn't play a whole lot for Portugal, uh, but yeah. comes, back, comes back for the main games, and, and <laughs> I don't know if there's much more we can say about him, but you want to try and add something on uh, on Ronaldo here? Yeah, terrible season. Moved to a new club, 21 league goals, six in the Champions League. What a disaster. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what could you say? A- any other player in the world putting in those statistics, you would say, wow, great season. Uh, for Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, it's slightly disappointing season, but uh, of course it's not a disappointing season. He's had a new championship a new country to get used to new teammates new new completely new style and uh you know he did what you expect one of the best players in the world to do which is uh adapt super fast uh doesn't really uh has basically been juventus's best performer all season and uh yeah you know i think we've got another good i'd say two or three years the way he looks after himself uh, and especially if, probably from this point of view, it's maybe a good move going to Italy because I think that's one championship where they're kind of famed, aren't they, for keeping faith with uh, old timers, you can put it that way. And, uh, you know, you see them turning out at uh, 36, 37 years old and still doing the business. And I certainly think Cristiano Ronaldo has got another two or three years at the top, hopefully, uh, after the Euro 2016 final, of course, which uh, he... You know, probably the biggest game in his career, forced off in so dramatic, uh, in such dramatic circumstances. Hopefully, he can. Of course, this isn't a World Cup or Euro, but it'd be great for him if he can, uh, if Portugal gets the final and he can play a starring role. Yeah, interesting to see what's going to happen with with him as he as he gets into his thirties now. But uh, hopefully, many more years uh, at, at at the top of the game for Cristiano. Okay, let's move on to an interesting player, Diogo Jota who was called up for those recent um, European qualifiers but, but couldn't get on the pitch. He scored 17 goals in the championship with uh, Wolverhampton as they got promoted. And then this season, he's, he's first with the team in the Premier League. Started off pretty slow, didn't really do anything until, uh, or production-wise, until early December when he really started to get involved with uh, regular goals and assists throughout the season. A lot of yellow cards as well. Quite interesting for, for a forward player. Nathan, what's your assessment of um, Diogo Jota? Yeah, I was a bit worried about him uh, in the early part of the season, as, as well as seeing him come out of the, the championship where he had played really well and had stuttered to start the Premier League. Yeah, I was I was immediately afraid, oh no, we have another young talent who has shown promise as he's developed throughout his career, but once they reach the top level, they just fade. But that wasn't, that wasn't the end of the story. Jota really recovered and uh, he he gives us again that that direct, uh, incisive option to play you know just just off Cristiano Ronaldo that I think we really do need at this point in his career. Ronaldo, as good as he is, I do think it's finally time to allow him to just lead the line, you know, to do battle with the the opposition center backs and and make some space for a player like Jota to work in between the lines to drop deep and collect the ball and run at defenders. You know, I think of Jota's goal in the FA Cup against Manchester United, where he he collected the ball from deep and, and just ran right over Luke Shaw. 
on his way to the goal and, and, and just finish brilliantly near post, you know, and these kind of goals are exactly what Portugal need, you know? And so I think employing him in this squad, I really look, I mean, him, Joao Felix and Jose Sa are the only players who have yet to earn a cap. And I think of those three, Jota needs to be the first to see the pitch. And I think he needs to start, but we'll get to that a little bit later in the podcast. Yeah. Really interesting pick this Tom. What were your thoughts on Jota when he played for Porto and, and how did you see his development and how far would you think he can, he can go? Yeah, I think he'd go very far. You know, I remember him even before Porto for Passos de Ferreira, you know, banging in the goals. I think he got 16 or 17, which is, you know, incredible for, uh, I think he was still a teenager at the time or maybe 20 years old, but, at, uh, you know, a club like Passos de Ferreira. And so, you know, it's obvious that he was going, uh, he was going to step up the level, uh, got bought by Atletico Madrid and loaned out straight away to Porto, had a Pretty good season there. I think he scored a hat-trick in one of his first games, maybe even been his debut, his full debut. And, uh, yeah, had a, had a decent season at Porto. Took a risk, like a few of these Wolves players, like Neves, for example, dropping down into the second tier in England. And has developed nicely. It's like uh, like you mentioned, Matt, and, uh, and Nathan just backed it up. I really like it when you see players uh, kind of learning from their mistakes or just kind of naturally developing. He obviously found it a little bit of a struggle when he first, uh, you know, first half of the season in the Premier League. But uh, he's shown the intelligence and the determination and the ability to to improve, you know, to to know what he has to do to make an impact at that team. And yeah, second half of the season, I actually saw that game, the, the goal uh, Nathan mentioned against Man United. I, I caught that, uh, that game. Yeah, fantastic goal that was by... Uh, by Jota and yeah he's certainly got the qualities to uh, I think to definitely be in the squad and perhaps be in the in the starting 11 or you know to have a a big say in what happens in this tournament yeah I totally agree with his call up I can't say I've seen a lot of him only a little bit for the for the for the junior teams but I liked what I saw there which brings us to the last man on the list guys and that is Diego Sosa started the season really well at Braga well, the first half of the season was incredible, scoring a lot of goals. But, you know, he's really done nothing since mid-February. And, and this is a guy who's 29. I didn't think he looked particularly good in, uh, in those, when, when he, he came off the bench, didn't he, in the first game. And then he started against, um, against Serbia. And I didn't think there was enough there to really warrant him getting caught up again, especially considering the guy we just discussed couldn't get a minute on, uh, of game time. Tom, Diego Sosa, can you, can you give your opinion on his, his call-up to the Portuguese national team? Yeah, I think it's fair to say it's probably the call-up which has caused the most uh, doubts, I suppose, you can put it that way, or people are you know a bit 50-50 on. I think the reason he's in there is just because the qualities which he offers are very different to any other player. You know, you just look at those, uh, any other player out of those forwards. You know, we've just been talking about Felix... Uh, Jota, Gedz, uh, Rafa, you know, they quite similar kind of players in a way, or, uh, you know, very technically proficient, uh, very skillful, a lot of pace. Uh, Diego Souza uh, is a big physical presence, good in the air, uh, and he good link-up play. So I guess that Fernando Santos has, has uh, you know, called him up as, uh, as, I guess, a bit of a plan B, you know, if Portugal are just uh, hitting a brick wall. Uh, to get him on the pitch and maybe mix it up a bit, uh, maybe get a bit more physical. From that point of view, I think it's I think it's fair enough which he was chosen because I I don't really think that I can't think of another striker who you know offers those kind of qualities who's had such an impressive season as he has. Although you're absolutely right, Matt, he started off better and he did fall away a bit towards the end. Yeah, interesting one. This Nathan, you want to give you a few cents worth here on um, Diego Souza? I don't think there's really too much in this, really. It's, it's just, it kind of, as Tom mentioned at the end there, we were lacking a bit with uh, the, the form for some of the more traditional number nines. Andre Silva and Adair are, are essentially, that's the end of the list for us. And neither one of those players are in great form. So I think when we, when we look at, in terms of diversifying the team's capabilities, we, we do kind of want someone who could potentially uh, play the true number nine role if, say, Cristiano were to be injured, God forbid. Uh, and, and 
and that's I think the reason for his selection. There's there's really I, I don't think it's a matter of looking at him and thinking, oh, he's going to provide just this this awe-inspiring impact. It's, it's more rounding out the squad. I just thought it was a bit strange to have a 29-year-old coming in and taking the place of a young 22-year-old who, like Diego, Diego Jota. Um, I, I agree that they're you know different types of players. Sosa is much taller, and I guess if Andre Silva wasn't uh, out of the squad, then you would have to say that Sosa would would make way for for him. But you know, Andre Silva hasn't gone so well after moving to uh, Sevilla on loan. He's had some injuries and some dramas with the management there, and um, yeah, hasn't hasn't got called up. And I think uh, Edair, we can we can almost forget about him. Although he will always have a place in our hearts, won't he? It doesn't really matter what he does if you look at his whole Portugal career. Basically, let's 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 not beat about the bush. His his whole Portugal career is probably his whole football career, and that might be a bit uh, a bit going a bit too far but his whole Portugal career is defined by one goal but what a goal you know basically the most important goal in Portuguese football history yeah you can get that on a poster and throw it up on your wall and he will live uh, he'll live long in the memory of many Portuguese supporters All right, let's move on to the manager now, Fernando Santos, of course, guiding the team to that historic victory in France in 2016, but uh, come under a bit of pressure, of course, pretty meek exit in the Confederations Cup before the World Cup exit against uh, Uruguay. We mentioned it before, didn't we, as far as uh, Bernardo Silva goes, not getting the best out of him, and, you know, now he's got a similar dilemma with um, Bruno Fernandes, well, he has to bring him into the team <laughs> to start off with, but um, Nathan, some of the, uh, the, the talk about Fernando Santos being under pressure, what's your thoughts on all that? Yeah, there's so much to say here. I'll try to be concise and, and not ramble. But he's a really difficult place, I think, really for any manager of this squad is is attempting to configure all the pieces in, in the right way. The, the real concern I have with Santos now is, is he attempting to employ a, a strategy and a team dynamic that is that is atypical of the, the Portuguese way of playing football? And, and, and what is that going to do to the way we play football? I, you know, when we, when we look back to the history of the great teams Portugal has employed, it's, it's the attacking, the, 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 the offensive element of the squad, which has been the ever-present and vibrant theme. Only in Euro 2016 did Portugal try to, to add the, you know, kind of the hard-nosed, pragmatic, defensive element and granted that that earned us some great results but the question is going to be if we continue to posture the squad to perform kind of against its own dna how how are we going to be able to sustain that for years with such vibrant attacking players that we have now coming into the squad and even looking back into the youth squads now all the players coming up are just these these raw attacking sensations that's how they look to me anyway and so how are we going with a defensive-minded manager, how are we going to employ that kind of talent on the pitch in a way that doesn't contradict Portugal's own footballing philosophy? That's the, the struggle that I'm having right now in, in assessing Fernando Santos. Yeah, it's very interesting, isn't it? Tom, what's your assessment on Fernando Santos being known as, a, I guess, a more of a defensive-minded manager? And you know, what, what are the expectations on him and how much pressure is he, is he under, do you think? I think he's under quite a lot of pressure. I suppose he's got well, he's got credit in the bank, hasn't he? Because he won us the only tournament we've ever won, uh, and uh, so he'll be the manager until the end of this Euro 2020 campaign. I'm pretty sure that come what may. But uh, you know, questions are being asked, and if Portugal do very badly here, and if they struggle, uh, you know, at Euro 2020, God forbid they they qualify. They, I can't imagine they're to qualify for it but uh, you know if they if they do that and then have a similar performance to how they did at the World Cup I think that will probably be curtains for Fernando Santos simply because I'd say it's very interesting the way uh, Nathan framed uh, his discourse there about the Portuguese DNA and that's absolutely true but I think even perhaps more than the Portuguese DNA is the just this kind of quirk I don't I, I don't know the, the reason for it but 
all of Portugal's most exciting, attacking and world-class players now look like they're all going to be attacking midfielders or forwards. They're just sensational talents, you know. And, uh, and so it's, it's almost like a crime against football not being able to get these players to, uh, you know, to show the talent they have uh, in a Portugal shirt. And so it, there's really no doubt about it. He is known as a pragmatic manager. It, of course, perhaps that started off uh, uh, as uh, Greece, where he did a fantastic job. And he did, I don't think anyone can kind of blame him for adopting those talents, those tactics, when you've got a squad, you know, with all due respect, uh, like Greece, who, you know, aren't kind of dripping with international, you know, world-class attacking talents. Uh, Portugal are, or they certainly look like they're going that way. And so... You know, there's no doubt about it. He's going to have to uh, change the way the team play. He's going to have to try and fit the pieces together to make Port- to, to you know, to, to fully harness this, this attacking talent. One thing you can say about Fernando Santos is he has shown adaptability. He has shown a willingness both in his selections and kind of mixing it up game to game and even at the tournament at Euro 2016. Uh, he's shown an ability to learn, uh, you know, to try and change things when they're not working. And so, uh, you know, let's just hope that he does that again. Yeah, well said, guys. I don't really have that much to, to add to that. It's so important to look past the score and the result, you know. But um, once you start to have the same story going on and on again, which is what we've just seen here in Poland, is that, you know, you're dominating games, you're creating more chances, but you're not winning games. And once that starts to become a, a habit, then, you know, you need to kind of start looking at the manager. But, you know, he did spring a bit of a surprise on us, didn't he, against Ukraine, uh, starting with, with Neves, uh, William Carvalho and, and João Moutinho. But then you saw in the next game against Serbia where, where he paired um, Danilo and, um, uh, and William. And, and that's what I'd like to see a bit more of. So I like the little switch there. I liked what he's done. And I think he's kind of close to... Um, to getting the best out of this team, as we say that uh, Bernardo obviously has to be a major part of that, Cristiano we know, and, uh, and also um, Bruno Fernandes. Segway that now into our, our starting 11 and, and formation. I'll, I'll start this one off with if that's okay. And um, I'll just go with exactly what I just mentioned, the 4-2-3-1. I think that's the, the best way to, to, to run this team. Obviously the back five picks itself with Patricio and then uh, Cancelo and Guerrero at, on the fullbacks and then Pepe and Ruben Dias, and uh, with uh, Danilo Pereira suspended, I would just go with uh, William and uh, Ruben Neves there in, in the central midfield, and that way it doesn't matter which fullback pushes up, one of those guys can cover, and then you've also got the other one just to sit in the middle there, so you've got enough cover to defend your, your fullbacks when they push up, and having that formation also allows you to play uh, Bruno Fernandes in the number 10, and then you can just stick uh, Bernardo on the right, and I think Rafa deserves to keep his spot in the team. As we mentioned, he's been, his, his finish of the season was, was unbelievable. And, um, and then you just you, you throw Cristiano up, uh, up front. And I think, you know, I've been talking about this since World Cup 2014, that, you know, I don't know why Cristiano Ronaldo plays anywhere apart from central striker. He's obviously going to move around here and there, but that should be his, his base position, you know what I mean? Getting on in years, conserving energy, and, 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 you know, there's no one better in the air and anticipating balls into the box. And, and he's got all the skills. We know that. And um, I just think that's the best balance and, and, and the best way to, uh, to, to, to maximize the talent in this team. Tom, you want to give us your, uh, your formation and starting 11? Yeah, well, uh, perhaps I won't go through it 1 to 11 because I've just written it down. And it's basically exactly the same as yours. The only thing maybe I'd say is... Uh, in terms of the kind of uh, most attacking midfielder, number 10 role, perhaps I'd put Bernardo Silva there and give Fernandes, maybe uh, move Fernandes on the right. He, did, he played there a few times for, port, uh, for sporting throughout the season. It was quite effective as well. Uh, I think it's just so vital that we, you know, well, you, you all know my love for, for Bruno Fernandes, but I think perhaps the most pressing pressing issue is getting the best out of Bernardo Silva. He should be Portugal's number one guy, really, behind Ronaldo. So I think we've got to put him central, just behind the two strikers. And then I think instead of Rafa, I would probably go for Jota. Uh, Jota or Felix, you know, either of those two, perhaps Jota, a little bit older, has also been playing 
in uh, you know in England, of course, which is a much higher level than uh, you know for all uh, Joao Felix's fantastic performances. We have to remember that he's doing it in Portugal, which isn't quite uh, well. You know, it's not at the level of the English Premier League. So perhaps Jota, I would give him the starting position with uh, you know Felix ready to come in. Uh, you know, a bit later maybe. Yeah, it's certainly hard to get all these attacking players in. There's so much quality. And let's not forget that you know a four-two-three-one is basically a four-four-two or a or a four-four-one-one. There's not a whole lot of difference. But um, Nathan, what's your ideal starting eleven and formation here? Yeah, I think the only major or significant departure from uh, from the, the initial formation you you mentioned was I I've never been a fan of a of a double pivot except in in certain situations within a match that might require the double pivot. So for example, at the end of a match when you need to preserve, you know, a, a win or a draw, you, you throw on the extra holding midfielder. But I, I think in putting two holding midfielders to start, we're doing just the, the thing that we, that's getting us into trouble with not being able to fully express our attacking ability. We're limiting ourselves a little bit in midfield and doing that. And since Ronaldo has moved further up the pitch, you know, and has taken some of his creative ability away from midfield, I think that, it's imperative that we do find a way, as Tom mentioned, to employ Bernardo in whatever capacity gives him the most license to to destroy the opposition defense. And if, and in my opinion, we that means surrounding him with you know with with another good uh, you know ball playing forward moving you know midfielder. Uh, granted, to remove you know, Danilo say from the picture and leave William by himself as the holder that introduces some concerns defensively, especially with our fullback situation being the way it is, as you mentioned. But I, I think that if we're playing to our best strengths, we, we need to try to find a, get a, a way to, to put the best of our midfield on the pitch. And that, that's, that's attacking midfielders at this point. So that, that'd be the only change that would make no real significant adjustments to the players you mentioned. I think I, I probably would, you know, favor Jota just behind Cristiano Ronaldo. Bernardo, obviously, in the center. I've been saying that for, for years as well. I agree with putting Bruno on the right. And then on the left, I, I'm, I'm fine with Rafa Silva. Uh, I'm fine with, with Pizzi. Um, and then obviously the holder, William, and then no other changes to the squad. And that, that's, that'd be what I would uh, roll out against Switzerland. Okay, interesting stuff. We'll have to see what the main man, Fernando Santos, decides to do here. But yeah, so many, uh, so many weapons at his disposal. But um, you know, finding the balance and making sure that they can uh, can cover cover the transition when they lose the ball is uh, is a major major part of every, every manager's job. And uh, Santos certainly has to make sure he can make that happen. All right, let's talk about quickly the. Um, the, the opposition for the first match at Switzerland. Uh, we remember them. We, we played against Switzerland that last uh, World Cup qualifier in October 2017, the match that we needed to win to finish first. And we did that at the uh, Stadio de Luz 2-0. We'll just go through their squad quickly. Uh, and I'll just say that uh, Brill Mbolo is uh, injured again, unfortunately. A lot, of, a lot of injuries for him. He finished the season quite strong at Schalke. So that's something in uh, in Portugal's favour, but no um, no surprises with Jan Sommer. He will start in goal, and then I'm sure Manuel Akanji will be the the main central defender there, alongside um, Fabian Scher and Ricardo Rodriguez. He hasn't really hit the heights going to Milan. I don't know why anyone wants to go to Milan. It seems like a graveyard for football players. Their careers just go backwards, and then. On the right back, they've got a bit of an issue because Mikael Lang hasn't really played. He got dropped. Uh, Nico Elvedi has pretty much been playing in central defence and then the other guys don't really have much, uh, much experience. And then central midfield, of course, it's all about Granit Xhaka. Uh, Dennis Zakaria has got a, quite a bit of uh, a talent. And then, of course, I'm sure we'll see uh, Jed and Shakiri out on the wing. And then, uh, well, someone you can talk about here, Tom Harris. Seferovic has been unbelievable for Benfica. You want to talk about yeah. him and, and any other Swiss players that you might want to uh, discuss quickly? To Ferovic, I mean, what a turnaround. Uh, you know, talk about players completely, uh, you know, I suppose being a late bloomer or turning their careers around. First season at Benfica, you know, he looked a bit of a dud, uh, especially second half of the season, hardly played. 
Uh, didn't really look like he was on his way out of Benfica. I think he was fourth choice striker at the start. But yeah, he's completely turned it around. Uh, really impressive, you know, really good, old-fashioned, I suppose you could say, centre-forward, big, physical, uh, good in the air, but uh, good touch as well. And, you know, just a deadly eye for goal. He's been, he's been excellent for, for Benfica. So that's he's definitely going to be a big threat, of course. It'll be interesting coming up against uh, perhaps some of his teammates uh, in this game. So, yeah, that should be one, one to look out for. Yeah, for sure. He'll be, he'll be uh, itching to get one over some of his uh, teammates. Uh, Nathan, any thoughts on the Swiss uh, squad? When I look at the, the squad, I, I do think this is a, a team that Portugal will be able to, you know, theoretically cause some defensive problems. You know, they've, they've transitioned away from, you know, their longtime fullback, Stefan uh, Liechtenstein. Their back line looks a bit uh, unstable to me. And I think that may be kind of an area of focus for them as well. They do have talent in their midfield, and they do have a striker coming off a really great season in Seferovic. So uh, maybe actually a really compelling match. Tom, another match Portugal are expected to win. But (laughs) as we've seen, not only here in Poland, but uh, with the national squad, it doesn't always work out that way. What, do you, what, what what's your uh, what's your gut feeling here? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I'll be going out to Porto to to watch the game, and uh, I, I think, like uh, Nathan said, I think it could be you know it could be a really interesting game because both sides perhaps uh, stronger going forward than defending this tournament, this whole tournament. You know, it's not a World Cup, it's not a European Championship, so perhaps a bit like a domestic cup, maybe instead of a Instead of a league match, players will be a little bit more relaxed. You know, uh, you know, it's not like the, the weight of expectation, so, so much history. Uh, having said that, you know, uh, I think this has been a very successful tournament so far. The group stage is fantastic, in my opinion. Really good matches, exciting matches all the way through. I think this tournament's probably here to stay. So, uh, of course, it would be quite a feather in the cap for whichever of these four countries wins it to be able to say... You know, they were the inaugural winners of the Nations League. So that's, a, you know, that's good motivation. So, yeah, I think it's all, all set for, you know, a really good, uh, really good entertaining game. That's what I'm hoping for. Uh, I'm going for Portugal to just uh, get to the final after a goal fest. Let's, let's go for that. Nathan, we've had a lot of heartbreak, but uh, what's your gut feeling here against Switzerland? I really feel confident we can, we can overcome Switzerland. But that that's pending, you know, some of the the issues we've described. You know, can we can we bring our best to this tournament, or will it turn out a bit more like the World Cup did, where there was there was a lot of hope invested in the 2018 World Cup with some of the players that we had in the squad that we felt would propel the team to new heights, but then they 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 wilted on that level. What I like about this tournament, and this this is in no way to, to put a damper on on how good it's been, I think, for UEFA and for, for the fans. But this, this is still a, it's, it's a young term. It's brand new. And, and I think it's a good opportunity, really, for the players to, in a competitive, competitive environment, test themselves. But the implications or the, the, the impact, possibly, of, of not performing well it maybe could be interpreted a little bit more easily as like a learning situation as opposed to just an outright failure or, or something that might be detrimental to their to their attitude. So I look at it as you know we obviously want to win this tournament. I think we can. We can we can get to the final, and and who knows what happens in a final. But but even if things don't go our way, this is a good dress rehearsal possibly for for what we might want to do uh, next year at that the big show Euro 2020. Yeah, it's a great opportunity, isn't it? You know, avoiding. Netherlands and England, and hopefully getting to the final and meeting one of them. We've got the home advantage. You know, we've got the Ronaldo and Joao Felix, the youngster coming through with the veterans. So a lot to look forward to here. Uh, no doubt Portugal will dominate this game and uh, create more chances, but <laughs> I don't want to say any more. I've seen enough in the last <laughs> few days, and uh, I'm, still, I'm still hurting. So uh, I'm just going to sit on the fence as far as that goes and just um, hope for the best. And uh, that would be a Selassar win. That's it for the Portugal podcast. Thanks, Tom. And uh, enjoy the game up there. Okay. Cheers, Matt. Great talking to you. And have a good trip back home from Poland. 
no worries. Yeah, I'm still undecided how long I'm going to stay here. Um, I'm sort of caught in two minds, but I'll make a decision soon enough. And uh, Nathan, thanks very much for your time. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, and, and I and I will just say that uh, you have my condolences for your your tournament opportunity being being cut short there in uh, in Poland. That's that's uh, that's very disappointing, man. I'm, I, I feel for you. Jota needs it more than me. Don't worry about me. Someone <laughs> like Jota was absolutely devastated, and um, he's going to need a, an arm around his shoulder for sure. And hopefully, he gets uh, plenty of those. Okay, I've been Matthew Marshall. Hope you've enjoyed the Portugal podcast. We might be back if uh, Portugal beats Switzerland and do a short preview. Keep an eye out for that. Okay, Porta! Yeah.